Good morning. My name is Matt Bohr, and I serve on the Elder Council here at FBC. Today we are reading from the scriptures in Luke 1, 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seems, seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely from some time past, to write an orderly account for you, the most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Thanks, man. You may be seated. I didn't tell Matt this, but we're going to take a vote to see if he could read the rest through four. No, I'm kidding. 45? No, that's a lot of verses. Thank you, Matt, for reading. Appreciate it. We're in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to make our way to verse 45 this morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 45. Before we get started in the message this morning, I want to be sure to thank uh, Pastor Seth for his uh, preaching for us and Pastor Todd preaching for us uh, while uh, my family and I were, were out of town a bit. I asked Pastor Jeff when we headed out of town to have the snow cleaned up before we got back, and he did. So I appreciate that. That's fantastic. Um, and so I appreciate uh, Seth and Todd taking time to minister the Word for us uh, in my absence. Does God still matter? Does God still matter? Now, I know you say that in a church, you feel almost morally obligated to say, of course He does. But we're going to ask the question honestly in our own hearts, because this is the question that needs to be answered by Luke as he's writing the gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts, which he wrote as a companion to this, as he's writing to his good friend Theophilus. That's the, who this book is written to. You, you can see his name there in verse 4. Luke says, I want to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. We don't know a lot about Theophilus. We know what his name means, Theo, God, Philos, love, loved by God. Theophilus, though, was a name that was common among Jews as well as non-Jews. So we don't know per se just from his name whether he was Jewish or not, but we can surmise based on the content of the book of Luke and the book of Acts, it is very likely that Theophilus was a believer who was not Jewish. Because the book of Luke and the book of Acts together are seeking to communicate this faith that we have in Christ has come from the people of God, His people, the people of Israel, but it has come to everybody. It has come to Jews and non-Jews alike who put their faith in God. And so we might suggest that Theophilus was likely a Gentile believer who finds himself in the first century wanting to love Jesus and trusting God for forgiveness, but feeling like a, a bit of a, a fish out of water, saying, I love Jesus, and I love that He has saved me, and I love that I have forgiveness, but when I hang out with other believers, they seem weird to me. Anybody had this experience? Yeah, we call it Sunday morning, right? This is what's going on. And so he is saying, it feels like, it seems like, based on the eyewitness accounts of what happened, that Jesus died and was raised for sinners, this is my hope. But when I spend time with other people who have this same hope, 
things don't seem to fit? Does, does God matter in, in real life? Does God still matter? And that's the question we have to answer. We just, does God matter in my life today? Does God matter for what uh, is going on in the world around me today? And, and, and we're going to see as we work our way through the book of Luke that God does matter. In particular, it matters to people who feel like outsiders. You'll notice we've titled the, the series, uh, Outsiders Become Insiders. That's what Luke is wanting to communicate to Theophilus. Dear Theophilus, because you are in Christ, while beforehand you were excluded from the fellowship of God, now, regardless of your background, by virtue of your faith in Christ, you're an insider in the kingdom of God, and he wants us to have certainty of this account. So let's look at this first section here in verses 5 through 25. We covered this a little bit during Christmas time, but we're going to look at it again. Does God still matter? And the answer is yes, because of what God has done before. Does God still matter? Yes. First thing we want to recognize, because of what he has done before. We need to pay attention to something, and you're probably familiar with this. Are you familiar with uh, what we often call a midlife crisis? You could say midlife crisis. You are either on your way, or you are in it, or you're coming out of it. And what do we think of what a midlife crisis is? Usually we sort of think of a man who has spent his life working, and he gets to 40, 45, 50, somewhere in there, and all of a sudden he asks this question, really? So this is it. So this is it. This is everything. And usually you can identify relatively quickly the signs of the midlife crisis. There is the new car, usually without a top. There is the new hair, adding the top back on. <laughs> that hair is, uh, now has a color to it that doesn't normally occur in someone in their late 40s or 50s. All of a sudden, he is playing music he hasn't ever listened to. His kids are saying, maybe grown kids, who is that you're listening to? Well, it's BTS. I was seeing who was in their midlife crisis, because they would, oh, yeah, I love BTS. And somebody, who are they? Google it. I'm not going to explain it to you. You say, Dad, why, why? You used to listen to a different kind of music, and we would make fun of you, and now you're listening to our music, and so we're going to make fun of you. <laughs> Wearing clothing he shouldn't wear. Suddenly, now he has decided to squeeze into some skinny jeans. Show all the kids that he is hip. And this is what, and so what we may do on accident is think God has been working his way through history to save people. He got to the end of the Old Testament, and now he's having a midlife crisis. He needs to figure out how to be hip with the cool religious people, and so now he's going to do something different than he has before. And what Luke wants to start off with right away is say, no, 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 God is not having a midlife crisis. This has always been the plan. And so look at what he says. He begins in his argument to a, a Gentile believer. He starts with a Jewish story. That's what's really important to recognize here. He wants to convince this Gentile believer that he fits in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he starts with a, with a story that sounds like it could have been pulled right out of the Old Testament. He, he tells him, look, in the days of Herod, there was a guy named Zechariah. And what did Zechariah do? He was a priest. He was a priest of the lineage of Aaron. And, and so was his wife, Elizabeth. 
And he was going on duty at the temple. And you might say, Luke, if you want to make a Gentile feel welcome, this is not the way to do it. And what we need to understand is Luke is saying, no, this is how we must understand where we fit. And he starts with this account. Elizabeth and her, is unable to have children and Zechariah uh, with her because they are old. And all their life they have hoped uh, to have a child and they haven't been able to. And the Bible tells us something about them morally. They're good people. They sought the Lord. doesn't mean they were righteous. No one is righteous in their own regard, but the Bible makes it clear they sought the Lord and they loved the Lord. In spite of that, they were unable to have children. And he goes on doing it and he burns the incense. And while he's in there, Gabriel, the angel, meets with him and tells him, guess what, Zechariah, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him John. And he is going to make ready the way of the Lord. And John of course, doesn't really believe the angel, and as a result, he's going to be silent and unable to hear during the term of the pregnancy. But nonetheless, in the middle of this account, he's in the, pre, in, he's in the temple, he's serving, God comes and says, what I have been doing in the past, I am going to keep doing. It is time for redemptive history to come to its culmination. What we have to see here is, as John the Baptist is going to make way the way of the Lord, God is not setting aside what he has been doing in the Older Testament to now usher in a new thing with Jesus. Jesus is bringing to fulfillment everything God has been doing in the Older Testament. What we should recognize with Zechariah and Elizabeth having a son is God is continuing the work that he has been doing. Look at the call of John down in verse 15. He will be great before the Lord, is what the angel says. Verse 17, he will be, go before him, that is the Lord, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Look down at verse 18, how Zechariah responds. I am an old man, and my wife also is advanced in years. So what, what, what the angel is trying to communicate to Zechariah is God is working in the same way he always has been. And you're a part of it. And Zechariah, of course, doubts it. Zechariah, of course, wonders, could this really be happening? All of this led to the work of Jesus. Look again at verse 17. It says, regarding John the Baptist, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Matthew, the other gospel writers, picks up this same thing. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. For all the prophets at the law prophesied up until John, and if you're willing to accept it, this is what Jesus says, he is Elijah who is to come. So Jesus says regarding John the Baptist, he is Elijah who is to come. All of this comes from Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. You'll see it prominently displayed on the screen. No, it's not because I didn't get to it. You'll be all right. You've got a copy of it in your Bible, right? Malachi 4, 5. Do you know where the book of Malachi is? You just find the book of Matthew. It's the one that comes right before it. It's so far back in your Old Testament, it's basically the New Testament. Malachi chapter 4, and 5, verses, chapter 4, verse 5 says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So the angel Gabriel is communicating to Zechariah and Elizabeth, your son John is the 
Old Testament prophet Elijah, in some sense, come again. In fact, we might even say that John is the final Old Testament prophet, and he is coming to prepare the way for the Lord to do his work. Does God still matter? Yes, because of everything that has come before. And John is that signal of that, that God is continuing the work that he has been doing all along. Look at verse 18 of Luke chapter 1. Zechariah said to the angel Gabriel, this wasn't a smart thing to say, but what are you going to do? I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He was arguing with the angel that he and his wife would be able to have a child. And he understood how things work and he knew that they were pretty old and at a certain point in your life, uh, as far as he was concerned, you're unable to have a child. But this is what's strange. What was Zechariah's job? Do you remember? I just mentioned it. He's a priest. Do you think he had ever read the Old Testament? Yeah, how many times has that happened in the Old Testament? Somebody is old and unable to have a children. I don't know. Close your eyes, open the Old Testament, point to a page. My guess is someone's barren, right? I mean, that seems like it's on repeat. Abraham and, I, Abraham and Sarah, how old were they when they had their son? A hundred. That's pretty old to be having kids. What about their son, Isaac and Rebekah? She was also unable to have children. All throughout the Old Testament, we see God working to bring the seed, Jesus, through his people, even through brokenness. And here's Zechariah, who should have understood what God had been doing. And when God comes to continue that work he's been doing, Zechariah should have known his Old Testament. And because he didn't, his faith wavered. Because he didn't rest his heart on what God had done before, he was on shaky ground. The result was he doubted that God could actually do this because he didn't remember everything that God had done before. Everything that God has done mattered. Does God still matter today? And the answer is yes, because of everything he has done beforehand. Let me put it this way, just to kind of rile you up a little bit, just to kind of irritate you, because that's my primary job, is to be irritating. How can I know I can trust God? We might say it this way, because he parted the Red Sea. How can I know I can trust God? Because the people of Israel ate manna in the wilderness for 40 years. How can I know I can trust God? Because the people of Israel, when they painted blood on their doorposts, didn't die at the hands of the angel like the people of Egypt did. How do I know I can trust God? Because the people of Israel, for 40 years, they wandered in the desert, and their shoes never wore out. Could you imagine? Parents, think of it. You've got a kid who's eight. 40 years he's four, later, he's 48, and he's wearing the same pair of shoes. How many cars could we buy if we weren't buying shoes every right? This is unbelievable. And, and, and you immediately say to me, well, that was a long time ago. When did the exodus occur? It occurred maybe 1,500 years before the birth of Christ. Jesus was born, what, 2,000 years ago? And then 1,500 years earlier, there was the exodus. That, if I'm doing my math right, is about 3,500 years ago. There's only a couple of us here in the room who were there for it. Don't look at them. He said, well, that seems like a long time ago. I need to know, God, what have you done for me this week? Well, let's look at it. 2 Peter chapter 3. 
2 Peter chapter 3. This is what Peter says. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, listen, this is what they're going to say. Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, that all should reach repentance. How long has it been since God parted the Red Sea? Three and a half days. I mean, for him, that was just, that was just a couple days ago. I mean, Christmas was, I don't even know how long ago Christmas was. Do we even remember what we got for Christmas? And for God, the Red Sea was even sooner. And we come to God and say, what have you done for me lately? I don't know, created the world, parted the Red Sea, provided the ram for Abraham so he wouldn't have to sacrifice Isaac, tore down the walls of Jericho, annihilated entire armies for Jehoshaphat, even though he didn't even draw a sword. That was a worship service that resulted in an enemy army being devastated. And God, what, else, and what do we want? God, I want a better parking spot when I go to Hobby Lobby. What have you done for me lately? Some of you are shocked that I would go to Hobby Lobby. It's just what popped in my head. That's, so this is what God is saying. Does God still matter today? And, and the first answer is, it may not be a satisfying answer for you, but the first answer is this, according to the gospel writer of Luke, he still matters today because of what he has done before. Not because of what he has done before is wore out or God needs a new PR team or he's having a midlife crisis and we're going from God of wrath to God of niceness. No, he matters today because of what he has done before. In fact, Luke is making this argument in telling us about Zechariah and Elizabeth. If he didn't matter before, he wouldn't matter today. If he didn't part the Red Sea, if he didn't bring children to the barren, if he didn't bring hope through faith in the lives of the people of Israel, he would be just as meaningless to us today. He is only significant today because of what he has done before, and he is always faithful to his promise. Our faith wavers when we forget what God did in our scripture in the Older Testament. We, our faith will waver when we fail to remember what God has done throughout all of human history. Does God still matter? Yes, because of what he has done before. There's a, a popular song that's, well, I don't know if it's popular or not. It's a worship song, so it's popular among Christian people, I guess. It's called Make Room. I don't know if you've heard it before. I've only heard it a couple of times on the, on the Christian uh, radio do hit thingy. They have this phrase, and I always like to pick on Christian music, and then I worry that it's, is it on the list for next week? Like, no, it's not. It's got this, uh, it's got this um, lyric in it, and I didn't write it all down, but uh, one of the phrases, and you can Google it, it's called Make Room. The, the prayer is, is the song, Lord, shake up my tradition and break up my religion. So I want you to understand, in one way, that's, that's a really helpful way to think about things. On the other hand, it is not. So let me, let me explain to you what I'm, what I'm getting at. 
if your tradition is you know God because Jesus is full of grace and truth, if, you, if your tradition is the way to have righteousness is to trust Jesus, then don't, break, don't shake up that tradition. That's a good tradition. Now, if your tradition is you know God because you're an awesome religi- religious person, feel free to shake that up. What we have to understand, yeah, tradition that draws us away and religion that draws us away from righteousness in Christ alone, feel free to throw that out. However, biblical tradition is God has been saving people through uh, faith in him for thousands of years. And biblical religion is trusting God to give me his right righteousness. We must not throw these things out. The reason we have together today the ability to put faith in Christ is because of what God has been doing before us. The generation before us will throw them under the bus, but we wouldn't have our faith today if God hadn't used them to bring us the truth of God's word. And what God has done in the Older Testament is we need to recognize and realize God has been working for thousands of years that we today might recognize he matters because Jesus is the culmination of his work to save sinners. Does God still matter? Yes, because of what he has done before. Okay, Luke chapter 1, look with me at um, verse 26. We'll look at Gabriel talking to Mary. Does God still matter? Yes, because of what God has planned for the future. Yes, because of what God has planned for the future. So in the sixth month, Gabriel shows up and talks to Mary. She's engaged uh, to Joseph, as you know, and um, the the angel shows up and and tells Mary she is going to uh, give birth. Here's what it says. Verse 30, Luke chapter 1. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and and of his kingdom there will be no end. Does God still matter? Yes, because of what he has planned for the future. Let me illustrate where we're going this way. If you go up to the Puget Sound area, Seattle, and uh, you want to go out to some of the islands there. In fact, some commuters live on little islands or out in Puget Sound. So what you do is you have to get on a ferry. So you drive your car up to the ferry, and then they lower the little gate thing. You drive your car onto the ferry, and then the ferry takes you from your island to the shore or vice versa, right? So you sit in your car or you can get out and go on the top deck and look at the beautiful uh, waves and whatever. So the ferry, are you following with me? I can't tell. Takes you and your car to the island. Halfway to the island, you're sitting in your car, you're standing by your car, you realize you're in the middle of the water on a ferry, and you say, you know what, this car is useless. What I need is a boat. And so you rebuild your car into a boat. The reason you do this, if I had my own boat, I wouldn't need this stupid ferry. I could go wherever I want. They say, well, what's the problem with that? Where's the car going to pay off for you? When you get to the shore, you make your car into a boat, then you get to the island, how are you going to get home? It doesn't. It doesn't work. The reason the car has significance on the ferry is because you're going to a particular place where that car needs to be a car. And what we need to recognize about God's vitality in our life, does God matter? We are going to a particular place, the future, and that future is owned by God. 
That future is owned by God. We find ourselves in a ferry today. We're not home yet. We're in the middle of the water. We want God to make sense right now in this world. But what Jesus is telling, no, I'm, I'm making a whole new one. So here's a question I might ask you. Do you want God to make more sense today or more sense in the kingdom he's bringing in? Because that kingdom that's coming is the kingdom, and that's the place where who he is makes all the sense in the world. Does God still matter? Yes, because of what he has planned for the future. God is not seeking to fit into our expectations today. God, at a certain point in history, we're not home yet, is going to make reality for us fit the expectations of who he is. And until we get there, we need to wait patiently because the future is his and his alone. Look what God tells Mary about the son she will bear. He will be great. That's verse 32. He will be great. Let's compare that with what uh, the angel told Zechariah about John the Baptist. Look up at verse 15. Verse 15 of Luke 1. This is what the angel said about John the Baptist. He will be what? Great before the Lord. John the Baptist will be great. Why? Because of who he serves, the Lord. John the Baptist is great because he is serving the Lord. Why is Jesus great? The Bible tells us. He will be great. Why? He is the Son of the Most High. Because Jesus is God himself born into humanity. John the Baptist is great because of who Jesus is. Jesus is great because of who Jesus is. Jesus is great in and of himself. Look at the descriptions that are given him. Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give to him the throne of David. Verse 33, what kind of reign will he have? He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. When will Jesus' kingdom end? Never. His kingdom will never end. So Mary is told all of this information about the son that she will carry. The son of God, God himself, will reside in her womb. And this son will be the heir to the throne of David, and that throne and that kingdom will never end. The child that Mary is going to bear, Jesus, will be great. He will be great by definition of who he is. As uh, Seth shared with us, this is the Jesus who is holding together all of the cosmos. I don't know if you thought about this. When does Jesus hold together the universe? Always. Did he do it before he was born? Yes. Did he do it after he was born? Yes. Did he do it during? We can thank the Lord. He is so great. Jesus can be born as a baby and still hold the universe together. What did you do as a baby? Congratulations. You made a, a poo-poo. And, and your parents were so excited. Look at him. He did it. Jesus, on the other hand, he was a human, so he did, in fact, also make a poo-poo. But while doing so, he held together. The, you find that sacrilegious? I'm sorry. He was a human. He was a person. That's the, and this is what's irritating. That's the one thing in this message you're going to remember. That's, <laughs> all right. Now I don't even know where I am. Look at verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. This child will be 
the Son of God. Jesus as a man, yes, in fact, did have Mary's DNA. But he was, uh, he was created, he was not, uh, his humanness came from God, conceived by God. God the Son who has always been conceived as a human in Mary by God. He was not biologically the son of Joseph. Joseph, however, did adopt him as his son because Joseph's line was the line of David. Jesus was born of Mary, conceived of God by the Holy Spirit, and and the Bible tells us he is and was and always has been holy, son of God, set apart, creator of the universe, perfectly holy and righteous. This is the one who was born to Mary. His whole job was to live his life perfectly, completely obeying the Father, and going to die on the cross that all who would believe in him would have their sins forgiven, and then to rise from the dead that all those who would trust in him would live forever in that great kingdom on that day. The the goal of Jesus' life is to provide us the way to get off the ferry and live in the kingdom that's to come, where we finally get to see what it's supposed to be like. And in this time, we we go, well, well, does God still matter? And God says, yes, because I, I want you to go from From here, the tension of of God has already made a way, but we're not home yet. And God is saying, I do matter because of everything I've done in the past. And I do matter because of where we are going in the future. And the job today is to recognize that by faith and live trusting the Lord through the day in and day out of what this life has to hold. Does God still matter? Yes, because of what he's planned for the future. Look at verses 39 through 45. Mary got up and uh, she went in haste to a town in Judah because she was up in Galilee and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Why'd she greet Elizabeth? Because Zechariah couldn't hear, couldn't talk. It was fantastic. They probably made fun of him the whole time. I don't know if that's ridiculous. I don't know if they did that. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that is John the Baptist in, in Elizabeth's womb, leaped. It leaped, okay? And, and the word that is used there is the same word that we see in the Older Testament when Jacob and Esau were wrestling in the womb of their mother. Do you remember that? When they're wrestling and, and their mom was like, what is going on? Because Jacob came off the third rope with the people's elbow on, on the Esau. And she goes, oh my goodness, what is going on? And I mean, it was such that it was more than the normal sort of, oh, the baby is moving about. It's more like, whoa, easy. And, and this is what happened with, with John the Baptist, and he didn't even have a, a roommate. Wombmate, I guess is what, is that, is that better? Okay. <laughs> and he jumped, and, and this was what she said, because Elizabeth in that moment was filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning she's late to the party, because the, the angel had told Zechariah, John the Baptist would be filled with the Spirit from conception. So here Elizabeth filled with the Spirit and she cries out in praise, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So Elizabeth in her old age has a miraculous baby announced by Gabriel himself and she's excited to know the pregnant mother 
of the Messiah. She knows what, what really matters in this situation is not John the Baptist. John the Baptist in her womb only matters because of the child that is to come through Mary. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth understood this, and, and I'll, I'll quote from a commentator who said it this way, John paves the way, Jesus is the way. Does Jesus, does God still matter? Yes, because of what he's done before in, throughout all of history. And does God still matter? Yes, because of the kingdom that is to come and is eternal. John paves the way for the Lord, but Jesus is the way. The great Messiah is here. Jesus' presence defines blessing. Jesus' presence defines blessing. Since that future day is coming, and since that future day is the day that Jesus is preparing for, Jesus matters for us today because that future day is coming. We trust that by faith alone. Does God still matter? Yes, because of what he's done before and because of what he has planned for the future. Just a couple of quick questions to ask yourself as we finish up this morning. Does God matter? That's a fair question. And if you're alive today as a believer, you've asked that question before, so I don't want you to feel too bad about it, but we need to recognize what it is. When we ask this question, does God really matter today? It betrays a desire that we have in our hearts, and that desire is for God to make sense today based on what I think God should be like. What does God matter is a question that betrays a heart's desire. God, I want you to make sense for today. I want you to make sense for my immediate expectations within this week or this year. God, I want you to make sense, but more than that, I want you to make sense for Thursday when I have a big appointment coming up, or when I've got this big deal that's going down, when I have expectations around my personal life and my family life and my business life. God, I need you to make sense for what's going on in my life. And God is saying, I matter in those small things because of what I've done throughout all of history and what the future holds. God is saying this to our hearts today and may be hard to grapple with. I'm bigger than your today. And, and, and today is okay because we're a part of what God is doing for all of, all of time. God is not insensitive to the challenges we face today, but, but the answer ends up being, in many ways, we're going to a better place. Remember the ferry we're on. God is not here to make the ferry as comfortable as possible. God's goal in our life is to get us one day off of the ferry of this life into the life he has truly created for us. That's the hope. God does matter because of where he is taking us. I'm going to say this to you, and I don't think you'll believe me, but I'll say it nonetheless, okay? One of the best ways to strengthen your faith, if you, if you struggle with doubt, which means you're human, by the way, one of the best ways to strengthen your faith is to remember what God has done in your Old Testament. We think the way to have my faith strengthened is to remember what God did last Wednesday. Please do remember what God did last Wednesday, whatever it was for you. Maybe you did get a really good parking spot at Hobby Lobby. Or some of you guys are saying, maybe you didn't have to go to Hobby Lobby, and that's a generous work of the Lord in your life. I don't know. 
But one of the ways we need to strengthen our faith is to remember that God parted the Red Sea. You say, well, how does that help? What, What were they supposed to do? What were they supposed to do? The Bible tells the people of Israel exactly what they're supposed to do. Fathers, tell your sons. We were walking along, and the Pharaoh was coming at us. It was crazy. And then the, we walked through the Red Sea. You walked on the Red Sea? No, no, no. The water went apart. Was it mucky? No, it was dry ground. I was standing there by the wall of water, and there was a fish. It was, it was the craziest thing. And you would tell their kids, God, how do I know I can trust God? Because we walked through the Red Sea. How do you know you can trust God? Because they ate manna for 40 years. And you say, well, but that's a long time ago. And I don't even know what manna is. The closest thing maybe is saltine crackers. Is that a thing? You say, no, because what did Jesus tell us? I am the manna. That's what Jesus said. And he was doing that on purpose. I want you to trust me as much as you trusted that I fed Israel for 40 years. Jesus says, I am your manna now. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will never see death. One of the best ways to strengthen our faith is to remember what God has done in our scripture. That is our history too as believers. That is our history too in Christ. Sons, daughters, as we tell, God parted the Red Sea. This isn't just a Sunday school story. Well, it is a Sunday school story. It's not a trite tale to convince us God likes making paths through the water. It is telling us God saves his people from slavery. And he's still slaving his people from slavery, slavery to sin and death. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells this parable. We'll get to it. Luke 16, I think we get that in 2026. Parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man dies and he doesn't know the Lord by faith. And so he is condemned to torment. And Lazarus dies. He had trusted God by faith. And so therefore he was in paradise. And the rich man in his torment was asking that Abraham would send the poor man over to give him a bit of water. And Abraham says, no. And then the rich man says this, send an angel or send somebody from here to tell my brothers about what's going on here that they might not know. And what does, what does Abraham say to the rich man? They've got their Old Testament. They've got Moses. They've got the prophets. And, and, and the rich man says, yeah, yeah, yeah I, know, I know they've got their Bible. But if somebody were to raise from the dead, then they would believe. And Abraham says this, and we must believe he is being serious. If they won't believe Moses, and they won't believe the prophets, they won't believe if a dead man shows up. And isn't that telling? Who shows up? A dead man. Raises from the dead. If you won't believe Jesus parted the Red Sea, and if you won't believe they ate manna, 40 years in the wilderness, if you won't believe that God tore down the walls of Jericho, then you won't believe if a man raised from the dead. One of the best ways to strengthen our faith as believers is to get into our Old Testament and recognize this is our history too, of the work of our God and our Savior to save people, and he's still doing it today. He's been doing it for thousands of years, and he's still doing it today. Isn't that incredible? We're a part of something that's been going on for thousands of years. It's awesome. Okay, last thing. Look at verse 33. Verse 33 of Luke chapter 1. Jesus' reign over the house of Jacob will be forever, and his kingdom will be, there will be 
no end. Our hopeful future with Jesus should define our expectations of God. So the question I think we need to ask ourselves recognizing that His kingdom will never end is this. Are we clinging to His eternal kingdom because we want a better Thursday or because we trust in an eternal kingdom? And this is what happens. We all do this. Is we need God to show up in a particular way Thursday. And God, being God, sometimes He does and sometimes He tells us, that's not my way. I'm going to do something different than what you want. And God doesn't meet our expectations for Thursday. And so therefore we say, if God can't hook me up with a nice Thursday, I don't need his kingdom. And Jesus is saying, listen, how about you put up with what I'm doing today because I have an eternal kingdom coming. Our hopeful future with Jesus needs to define our expectations. The expectation we have between now and then is he's going to do whatever he needs to do in our lives to make us more like him. So we need to trust him. Will that day be as good as he says it is? Is it worth waiting for? Does God still matter? Yes, because of what he's done before and because of what he has planned for our future. Will you join me as we pray? God, we thank you for your kindness that you've shown us in bringing salvation through your son, Jesus. And we thank you, God, that Jesus was not an afterthought. Jesus has always been the thought. We're grateful, God, that throughout all of your history, you've been telling the same story, that you want to make a way for people separated from you to have relationship with you. God, would you forgive us for our wayward hearts? We have things in our hearts and minds that we expect and want you to do, and we have undervalued the work that you have done to save us from our sin and make us a part of your kingdom that will last forever. Would you give us steadfastness, Lord, to trust you? That just as you have worked in the past, you will work in the future, and we have a great hope that is in you. God, I would pray for those of us who are here today who who haven't trusted you, that you would do a work in our hearts even in this moment, that we would recognize we need forgiveness from our sin, that we might be a part of your kingdom that will never end. We thank you for your grace and mercy and kindness to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Just stand up with me as we close with a song.